Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes, episode 17. My name is Jared. Here with my good friend Stephen Reed. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. My voice is a little hoarse from uh, going to the game this past weekend and, uh, and yelling and screaming and uh, getting pumped up. But uh, other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Good to hear. Good to hear. So obviously, Colts get a huge home win against the division rival, one of the best teams in football. Take down the Houston Texans at home. Now, we both have seen that game. Uh, you were at the game. I was watching the game. I've since watched the game a couple times. You've seen the replay of the game. So now that we've kind of had time to digest that week six win, how are we feeling about what we saw? Validate. Week seven win, sorry. I think we're, we're seeing the exact same thing that we talked about last week, um, about what we thought that the Colts would do, what we thought the Texans would do. Yeah. In terms of trying to stop each other, um, you know, the the Colts, obviously, we said that the Texans would try to stop the run and that it would probably be on Jacoby Brissett's shoulders. Yeah. It was. Uh, and he was able to make every every throw. And so and he made smart decisions, which I think was the, the biggest thing and is an underrated aspect of Jacoby Brissett's game is that he doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And some people will call that a game manager, which is mm-hmm. fine. Um, but I think that Jacoby Reset is much more than that because he can make all the throws. Um, the defense, it, it's a completely different defense with, with Darius Leonard mm-hmm. um, back in there and having Anthony Walker move back to his middle linebacker spot. And then, uh, you know, the, they were able to contain Deshaun Watson. If you noticed, uh, he uh, struggled uh, inside the pocket. And... He did pretty well when he rolled out, aside from the one throw that he was fading away, falling backwards, threw it across the field for the Pierre Desir interception, which he should have never made that throw. But right. that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, but the Colts defense did well. They, they, they applied pressure. They were able to get pressure throughout the game. And uh, the corners played well. They didn't. Sean Hopkins got his, but everybody else was pretty well in check. Um, so it wasn't wasn't a, a terrible game. It, it was a, a solid game on every side of the ball. And so, yeah, I was really happy with how it, how it turned out. What about, what about you? What are your thoughts? So first of all, I want to, I want to start by saying there's no use in patting ourselves on the back, right? So when we're right, we're just right. And we move on. That's the way I look at this. Okay. But the way I, way I saw what I saw, I'm going to pat myself on the back every time. Hey, I'm, I'm with you. Every time. Good job, Steve. 
<laughs> Jacoby Brissett was actually 27 for 40 for about 350 yards. If you remember, T.Y. Hilton caught a bomb on the right sideline that got called back when the Colts were trying to get it out of their own end zone again. Oh, yeah. Um, that was, uh, yeah, they, it was like a 40 yard bomb that mm-hmm. it, Brissett put a dime in there. Yeah. And, and T.Y. just dropped it. Yeah. It looked like. Yeah. And and keep in mind that would have been seven for a buck twenty and a touch against uh, the Houston Texans, who historically T. Y. Hilton has uh, massacred or whatever. Uh, but the ghost was out in full force. Uh, from from the looks of this game, having you know with a revisionist's eye, right? I go back and I watch the game, and the only downside to this game in my eyes is that when Jacoby gets flushed out of the pocket and he has to throw on the run. Those are really the only throws he was missing. I think that you can always, and again, I always will say if we are seeing it, us being the layman, right? What, what do you think the Colts see? They see the same thing we do. Hey, when, when he gets a stable pocket and where he has a clear throwing lane, he's absolutely a tossing dimes. When he gets flushed out of the pocket and has to throw on the move, his ball tends to come off wide and outside. And if you go back and watch the, the touchdown toss to Jack Doyle uh, on that on the end, in the end of the end zone, it was a little overthrown. Uh, if you look at another ball uh, going the other direction where he got flushed outside to the right and was trying to throw again. It was one he was going to, to Marlon Mack. He, he sails it when he's when yeah. he's pushed out, yeah. And those are things that you can work on. So there are – you know, one of the things, you know, we want to start by saying uh, if you go on Twitter and you search for FedEx uh, Air Ground, Jacoby is up there. Obviously, I don't know that he'll win this week regardless because the only player in the NFL that had a better week than Jacoby Brissett is Aaron Rodgers. Who had and nobody's going to vote against Aaron Rodgers. And nobody's voting against Aaron Rodgers because he had six total touchdowns and score, his team scored 42 points. Uh, but the fact that that even even the NFL is starting to come around uh, on Jacoby Brissett as a passer, right? You know, before before this game, there were a lot of there are still a lot of people that were saying. Jacoby Brissett is not it. He misses throws. He doesn't go through his progressions. He can't manipulate a defense with his eyes. I think he can put just about all of those things to bed after just one game because you saw everything you wanted to see out of a quarterback. You saw him going through his progressions. You saw him manipulating the defense with his eyes. You saw him taking uh, shots downfield, but he's also hitting wide open players, right? And that's the thing that we've been saying all along about Jacoby Brissett is that there's a difference between being a game manager. Check down Charlie is like a good side-by-side to being a game manager. You're just taking the safe check down, getting a few yards, and making sure that you're trying to put the team in the best position possible. That's not what happened on Sunday. If you look at his first, I don't know, like dozen throws, he was double digits down the field on every toss with the with some exceptions, but... You know, his first touchdown was an 11-yarder that I believe that was his third option, the the touchdown pass to Pascal. Uh, he just realized they had good coverage on the outside and the tight end and caught the guy on the on the underneath over. Well, like, and he – that was a crossing route where Molly Cox came across from right to left. Pascal yeah. came left to right. Mm-hmm. And what Brissett did on this, and this is something that you keyed on that we, I've talked about before, and that's been my, my concern with Brissett was – 
him not being able to manipulate a defense with his eyes. And I thought that was a perfect example of things that he's either worked on or they, they just decided to go ahead and unleash now. Um, but on that play, Brissett was looking left, looking at, or he's looking right at Moali Cox come across. Then he looks left and it holds that you see that middle linebacker freeze for a fraction of a second. Yep. Trying to figure out whether he needs to run with Pascal or whether he needs to run with Moali Cox. He froze. Pascal went free. And obviously, you know, Brissett hit him for that touchdown. Um, and great play by, by Zach Pascal is uh, one of my favorite. I think he might be one of my favorite Colts this year, just as a does it, He does it all, right? Makes yeah. big plays. Uh, they're even they're involving him more in the offense. He's taken a little bit of the Paris Campbell role, right? Like We kind of thought Paris Campbell would get integrated in the offense. They'd give him some carries. They'd get him on some sweeps. And they did that little shovel pass to get uh, Pascal his second touchdown. Um, and he's just shown a, a toughness, right, that you like, a willingness to, to put his body out there to, to go to battle for your teammates, something you really love to see. So I agree with you. He's been one of my favorite Colts this year. Just, again, a guy that, we you know, not a lot of people are really talking about. Yeah. Just just kind of just kind of plodding along. And then, you know, I'll, I'll never forget when when the guys that we work with, our colleagues bring up that, you know, they were talking about this in training camp. For the record, the other guys that we work with here at Stampede Blue were saying, hey, Zach Pascal is a complete receiver. He blocks. He gets downfield. He catches his footballs and he makes sure he tries to make a play. Yeah, uh, that kind of showed that was on Sunday. Zach and me. Yeah, on that one. Absolutely. So Z- shout Zach out and Zach I were, Absolutely. Zach and I were, were big on Pascal. We're like, I just don't see how he gets cut. Like, he just does everything. Yeah. And then to add to that, obviously, T.Y. with a big day, but that's kind of uh, the status quo versus the Texans, right? So uh, made some big plays, some big catches. And then I always got to shout out the man, Eric Ebron, who I fully expect uh, will be speaking with Randy Moss uh, some point this week, or will be at least shown on a segment on ESPN with Randy Moss for mossing uh, the Texans secondary and that one-handed touchdown catch in the end zone. Um, so with, with respect to Jacoby for having a great game, how about just like an all-around offensive game with the exception of, of course, Marla Mack, who gets 18 carries for 44 yards, but he also they threw him the ball, right? Like he actually had three catches this week, this week and Something to think yeah. about is he really wasn't involved in the passing game last year until late in the game, and it just increases his value to the team. Uh, and I think we're going to start seeing this moving forward. What teams are going to have to do is when Marlon Mack is on the field, you got to put a body on him. You can't let him get loose. And in the first half of this game, while you look at the the end game statistics and you say, oh, Houston stuffed the Colts' run at, rushing attack. In the first half, they didn't. Marlon Mack gashed them pretty good, six, five, six, seven yards of carry, four or five times in the opening in the opening half anyway. Um, and I would even argue, and it's not really an argument, it's just a fact. If you, can you imagine what the Colts offense could have done if they stayed in the same zone they were in, like I meant mental zone they were in in that first half, if they carried that into the second half, they could have put up 40 points easy. Yeah. And then Above all things, so beyond a great offensive outing for the Colts, us feeling a little validated on our projections on Jacoby, right, where we said, hey, this is his week to step up and get some things done. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, right? Now he's 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. 
there are uh, six players in the NFL, six quarterbacks in the NFL that have thrown for 14 or more touchdowns. Jacoby's the only one uh, with a bye. So he's only played six games and has 14 touchdowns, and all the other touchdown leaders in the NFL, as far yeah. as quarterbacks go, have started seven games. So He's uh, uh, the number one right now in touchdowns per game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that's a lot on the play calling, the offensive play design. So uh, big up. And, and that's just something that – that's actually a, a point that I wanted to pop up. When you're talking about the check down Charlie, your game manager thing, when people talk about Jacoby Brissett, is – People need to understand that that is the offense. Mm-hmm. Like he is executing the offense. So the offense isn't asking him to throw 30, 40 yards downfield. And so you can't hold that against Brissett for not 30, throwing the ball 30 to 40 yards downfield when the offense is predicated on making runs, getting four to five yards to carry, short passes. You know, you know, great wide receiver uh, route concepts. Oh, yeah. um, and so, and, and he's hitting them. He's accurate. And so you have people that are saying, oh, well, he's not throwing the ball down the field. Or, or he's not. It, and it's one of those things where, okay, well, Tom Brady doesn't throw the ball down the field. He's a yards after catch machine. He'll have 340 yards, but, you know, 280 of them will be yards after catch. Yep. And then you'll have, like, Aaron Rodgers, who throws for 340 yards and 300 of them is in the air and you're going okay well which one's the better quarterback both are great quarterbacks you know but their systems are different and they're asked to do different things and so people need to understand that Jacoby Brissett is not asked to do what Aaron Rodgers does he's asked to do what basically Tom Brady does which is fine and it really fits his skill set and so people need to just kind of not lay off that narrative that Jacoby Brissett isn't a top quarterback. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say he's a top 10 quarterback, you know, but I would say he's a top 15 quarterback right now. Yeah. And I'd say that in terms of decision-making, uh, ability to make a play, all these things that you look at, accuracy, um, you know, being a leader, I would pick Jacoby Brissett over, you know, a handful of guys. And... Yeah. Like you've got like maybe seven to ten that are like, yes, these guys are head and shoulders above. Like your all-time greats, like you know Tom Brady and Drew Brees and and Philip Rivers. And even though this year Philip Rivers is kind of struggling after after that Colts game. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's one of the I I get frustrated with fans who say that Jacoby's no good because he is good. Now at the same time, this was a big argument. Uh, recently on Twitter with a bunch of us is, you know, having looking at Jacoby Brissett now and saying, okay, we should also look to get a quarterback in the future. Sure. Now, my standpoint on that right now is I don't believe that Jacoby Brissett is, you know, an all-time great right now. But I also don't believe that the Jacoby Brissett is a terrible quarterback that needs to be replaced in the next draft necessarily i do think frank reich and chris ballard value a quality backup quarterback higher than most teams and i think that they would invest the resources in bringing in a top tier backup quarterback whether that is through the draft or through free agency more Mm -hmm. likely through the draft than anything else and so 
when you're looking down the road, like you can't fault a fan for enjoying the time that you have right now, while also looking towards the future to try to make sure that you have the best team possible. And I think that that's what the GM does. That's you know that's what Chris Ballard does. Is he tries to make the team on the field right now be the best it can be, but also look down the road and say, all right, you know, we we legitimately have some holes here. Let's go ahead and try to fill them. You know, they bring up a backup quarterback. A uh, backup quarterback is a top-tier backup quarterback. You let him work, and if he beats out Brissett, he beats out Brissett. Then you know you've got two starting quality quarterbacks on your roster, just like the Colts had last year. You know, rather than trading Jacoby Brissett, they kept him because they thought he was a top top 15, top 20 quarterback. And so far, he's proven that. And I just think that he's going to progress even further as we go and that we'll see him kind of flourish in this role and in this offense as teams start to try to sell out to stop the run against, you know, the, the Colts rushing attack, which is you, it's hard to do anyway. But they're going to have to put guys in the box, so they're going to have man coverage. And if you don't have the corners to play man coverage, the Colts are going to eat you alive through that the passing game because the route concepts are brilliant because Jacoby Reset is accurate and the receivers are actually catching the ball for the most part, right, which is right. a nice change. <laughs> right. So I wanted to point out while we're talking about like, is Jacoby a top quarterback in the NFL per profootballreference.com, Jacoby Reset is ninth in the NFL in rating. And then as far as QBR, he's uh, 14th. So when we say like top 15, top 10-ish, the data backs it up. And I get it. Everybody says, well, numbers don't say everything. And he's had some up and down games. Well, he's six games into his first uh, real shot at running an offense. Um, My favorite is, well, PFF says that he's 29th. uh, Right. And Pro Football Focus has about the same credibility that the, the lint that comes out of my belly button does. So... The reality is I would take Jacoby over uh, most of the quarterbacks in the NFL. The only way that you can improve upon what Jacoby shows you on the field is, in my opinion, mobility and escapability and creativity, things that you need when the play breaks down. It's not that he lacks it. It's just that he's a big quarterback. He's not uh, an agile highly athletic, faster than everybody but your safety uh, quarterback. He's not Andrew Luck. Like, right, he's Andrew not, Luck he's not was as like athletic as Andrew Luck, where Andrew Luck, when he would take off, it's an easy first down because the defense obviously did not see this coming. When Jacoby does it, it in my eyes, it becomes more of a, he's actually he's actually putting himself in, in the danger that you didn't want Andrew Luck in, where he has no problem diving and isn't a great slider, uh, and isn't particularly uh, left to right agile. He's more of a straight, you know, when he has to go, he's just going straight forward trying to get some yards back. It's a lot like Tom Brady, to be it's honest. It's a lot like, like Tom Brady. His, his skill set is. Yeah. But the, the good thing for the Colts, I think, is that this upcoming draft class for quarterbacks is particularly deep. Uh, and there's a good opportunity, and we've talked about this, but you know, good to talk about it on our podcast too. We've talked about it. I think the Colts take a quarterback. I think that they can do it relatively early because they've got so many draft picks to do this. And we all know every year a good quarterback prospect just falls, just plummets. 
and there's an opportunity there for either the Colts to move up a little, take a guy that they want that they've targeted, uh, even to trade back to get more picks to pick in the second round, uh, which which is where the Colts have made their money, right? So obviously it's it's got to be worth pointing out, and I, we're going to say this every week because it's true every week. How about these rookies, right? Kari Willis out there, Banigou out there, Okariki out there. Like we got a lot of young players on this Colts defense. For the record, just basically, and I'm saying basically because it's mostly true, not all the way true. Guys like Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, they're gonna get theirs. Guys like DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill, they're gonna get theirs. And they both, all four of those players against the Colts, you would argue they got theirs, right? But the Colts defense does enough to force you into bad situations. And then additionally, we're we're also validated because we talked about how undisciplined uh, the Texans were with respect to the Colts. Uh, and then I had to go back and double check myself. The Colts are the most penalized defense in the NFL, but the least penalized offense. And I think that comes that that happens when you have a quarterback, a former quarterback as your head coach. Um, offensively, uh, this staff, right from head coach, OC, your linebacker, your line, your line coach, your receiver coach, quarterback coaches, all that staff is elite, and it shows on the field, right? Because if you told anybody before this season started that the Colts are going to have to play in Arrowhead and then the next game they play, play the Texans without Andrew Luck and that they would be 4-2 and two winning their division and in the playoff race. Nobody takes that bet. But here we are, 4-2, and two, first in the AFC South, looking at a playoff spot. Uh, and because it's funny to me, and I, th- I think things that are funny should be talked about, Pat McAfee has helped uh, push forward uh, to legalize sports betting in Indiana. As of today, you can use uh, a lot of different places to bet already, but I think there are four. Uh, but today you can use FanDuel Sportsbook to bet on the Colts. Pat McAfee's Twitter has a promotion going on. Where if you bet on the Colts to win, make the playoffs, you get twenty-five to one on the first five dollars you bet. So that means you bet five bucks, the Colts make the playoffs, you get one hundred and twenty-five dollars. You can only get those odds on FanDuel. We are not sponsored by them. I just think if if you're a Colts fan, you listen to our podcast, you heed the things that we say. Hey, I did it. I actually called them to make sure that I could take advantage of it. If you haven't bet on FanDuel before and you create an account and you deposit money and put McAfee, M-C-A-F-E-E, you get 25 to 1 to bet the Colts to make the playoffs. I think that's really cool. It's relevant to us because we're here in Indiana. uh, And I think it's an interesting thing that now the Colts are going to start getting some shine, right? So obviously, now that we've kind of talked at length about the game against the Texans, it's worth looking at the rest of the AFC South and saying, hey, what's going on in the rest of the league, right? So here we go. Uh, the Colts 4-2, and two, Texans 4-3, and three, having just dropped to the Colts. And then the Jags and Titans are both 3-4. and four. Uh, And I wanted to bring this up on our podcast today. A lot of people uh, in the league, in the NFL, NFL writers, writers for other teams, 
have made comments in the past about how the Colts are, or the Colts, the AFC South is the weakest division in the NFL. And I just wanted to raise up the point that the Colts of, or the AFC South of the eight divisions in the NFL, the Colts uh, have the third most wins. So they're the third winningest division in the NFL. Uh, and I think that's worth kind of saying, hey, that's, that's more than these other divisions that are supposed to be like more competitive. Uh, and, the, and the difference is none of the teams in the AFC South are, are tanking. They're not. Uh, obviously, I don't think any of the other teams in the AFC South have it quite as good as the Colts do. Um, but now let's talk about this upcoming game. Colts get another home tilt uh, against the Denver Broncos, who are two and five and just got housed by the Chiefs uh, without Patrick Mahomes on Thursday of last week. And the final score of that game was thirty to six. Certainly, looking into this game, we would want we would obviously want to start by saying, of course, we think the Colts are going to win, right? Colts are four and two playing at home. Yeah, have, you would, they've you beat would the think. Texans and Chiefs in their last two games. They're healthy. They're getting healthier. Uh, word on the street today is Malik Hooker's coming back this week. Kenny Moore, Kenny Moore didn't play on Sunday, uh, but if he and Malik Hooker are back, this Colts defense is about to turn up, uh, and that's going to have to happen. I think because the Denver defense is actually pretty good. The only downside uh, for the Denver defense is that they're without Bradley Chubb. Uh, They still have Von Miller. They're still tough defensively. A lot of the metrics I saw uh, for defenses had the Broncos inside the top 10 in a lot of categories. Um, And again, I uh, I, I expect the Colts will win, but I don't think this game is going to be like it was last week. Um, this past week, because this past week, the Colts, I believe, were four for four scoring touchdowns in the red zone offensively, which is an insane. Uh, that doesn't normally happen in a football game. Well, and they got helped out, too. Yes. Um, they by did. some dumb penalties uh, by Houston. Yeah. Um, to like the um, their third touchdown or second touchdown or fourth touchdown. <laughs> there was that Bernardrick McKenney where he just like launched himself into Eric Ebron's head way away from the play and the officials caught it. And this is before it, it was like three plays in a row. McKinney like dove in, trying to knock Brissett in the head with his forearm yep. or clip Brissett in the head with his forearm. Yep. And then he did that little play to Ebron. And then the next series, McKinney is the one who took out his own player, Philip Gaines and like yep. just flew in there trying to take T.Y.'s head off mm-hmm. and T.Y. wisely ducked. McKenney just took out Gaines, and I, I felt really bad for Gaines in that situation. Yeah, I remember thinking watching the game, like how it, how if you're the Houston Texans, how is Bednarik McKenney in your in the game when, just like you said, that in, in, in and again, it kind of feeds what we've been saying all year about the Colts is that the Colts' style of football is punishing you for making mistakes that's requiring you to stop the run and then have a well above average coverage in order to keep the the Colts offense from uh, gaining momentum and pushing the ball down the field. But it's worth noting, hey man, the Houston Texans defense was coming in this game feeling pretty good about itself. 
pretty good against the run, and they showed that. But that opening drive, 90, 94 yards uh, after forcing a punt on defense to start the game, kind of set the tone for the entire game. And I feel like with the Colts being at home against a 2-5 and five team, in my eyes, this is another opportunity for this offense to take another step forward, just a huge step forward. And let's have like an all around great game or all around solid game. Uh, the bottom line is with the Colts defense getting healthier and the Denver offense in shambles, uh, I expect uh, a low out, a low output uh, from the Denver off- offense. And then I feel like the Colts offense could be a little more limited than they were this past week. Cause this past week it felt like a fire sale on deep completions. Right. And I feel like the Denver defense has it a little better. Um, and of course we'll see well, what we'll happens see because I was going to say the trade deadline's coming. So we don't, and Denver is reportedly a, a seller right now. So yeah. there there's rumors that they're looking for a, a trade partner for Emmanuel Sanders. And they're asking for a third round pick San Francisco according to um, Albright is, or is the big is the big uh, team there that's looking to try to get Sanders and then there's also talk of Chris Harris jr their their star cornerback possibly being on the block so I expect the Houston Texans to trade another two first round picks for him yeah uh, <laughs> because that's just what they do when they don't have a GM absolutely um, but yeah I think that the this game will be interesting because the teams themselves like the Colts are getting Malik Hooker back um, and match up okay against the Broncos. Like, realistically, like, if you have a defense, like a, a marginal defense, you match up well against Joe Flacco. So, right. like, I'm not worried about him really at all. No. Um, the, I'm more, more concerned Chubb, about Royce Freeman, right? And, and, uh, and Philip Lindsay, yeah. And Philip Lindsay. That's a pretty pretty potent one-two punch at running back but mm-hmm. now now that you've brought that up that hey the the broncos could be having a fire sale and could be losing a couple players that only boasts my confidence about the colts right because the colts are certainly not in that position although i did see no. uh the colts have the most available cap space of any team in the nfl they currently uh, have 43 million dollars the next closest team is cleveland with right about 32 yeah and then beyond that everything else is like in that Everybody else is like 25 and under. And yeah. they have the second most cap space going into next year. Um, rich get richer, so, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's nice because we're the ones that are rich as yeah. fans. So that's yeah, it's so, always nice in that situation. Yeah, the, the fans are getting real lucky um, with Chris Ballard and Frank Reich. And I'm going to keep tooting their horn because it's true. Like, um, I remember, you know, I've been around uh the Colts uh long enough in terms of uh talking about the Colts at length that you know it's just a few years ago where all hope was lost the organization was in shambles being poorly run and now we sit of just a few years later completely transformed the roster's been turned over almost entirely uh but we're not we're not without a great deal of talent uh, on paper and on the field. And one of the things I was thinking about while we were sitting here is, man, we don't talk about how good Darius Leonard really is and how impactful he really is. In his first game back coming off a concussion, uh, 10 total tackles, uh, seven solo, 
had a pass deflected, had an interception, and the probably the interception, and also and the, the greatest stiff arm. Yes, yes, say it. <laughs> that you'll ever that you'll ever see. Uh, I mean, he, I could like have that, swore he that's was better than put, any running back or like anybody else around the world. Like that was such. I saw when you saw it live, like the whole stadium just erupted, and then you like saw the replay. And I was like, yeah. yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, Darius Leonard put uh, Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills into the mantle of the earth. Uh, yeah, it's it's like, come on, man. He's got a family. <laughs> don't, don't do but that. But yeah, uh, Darius Leonard was also uh, talked to Pat McAfee today about uh, how he's actually a big pro wrestling fan. So then it makes it even funnier, right? He gets this interception that basically seals the game, gets up and starts running and takes the opportunity to just stiff arm the, you know what I mean? Just put somebody on It was on like his favorite, his favorite wrestler apparently was Roman Reigns. And that was like his Superman punch or whatever. Oh, yeah. And that was the, that was similar to what Roman Reigns does. So like people were yeah. saying that, that Darius Leonard called his shot early in the week. Oh yeah. He, he was gonna, gonna do that to somebody. And then lo and behold, he did. And that was, that was crazy. Yeah, so now, uh, obviously, the Colts get... One thing, go ahead, go ahead. one thing I want to bring up on the defense is that um, the Colts are finally starting, like as we said before, they're starting to get a little bit healthier. But you did notice Eberflus with Deshaun Watson specifically um, back there quarterback. You saw Eberflus blitz a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, than what he did uh, before uh, with and I think it's obviously a direct result of Ture getting injured um, because prior to that this past week, you saw him generally rush with four and he would blitz occasionally, um, normally bring in the corner. Um, this week he blitzed a lot and Leonard was, was more used as a spy. And during the, um, I, I've heard a lot of fans complain about Quincy Wilson recently which I understand, um, but if you watch the game and saw what Wilson was doing in the game, uh, he was mainly in there as their nickel-dime linebacker that was coming down um, and basically replacing the role that, that Clayton Gathers was playing mm-hmm. um, because Gathers has been not good, um, and that's being pretty kind. He's been actually really good on special teams, Um but he's just had some trouble with coverage. Uh, and as a safety, that's kind of something you need to not have trouble with. Um, and so Quincy Wilson stepped up, and he's covering tight ends and playing that nickel-dime linebacker position, which is huge in this defense, especially when they go to two-minute and you see offenses try to spread them out. So everybody's saying, oh, we need to get rid of rid of Quincy Wilson. We need to, you know, what what's he doing? He's not doing it. He actually has a... A, a niche role in this team that's important. And so while, yeah, he hasn't been making a ton of plays, he hasn't been asked to. Um, and so he's doing his job and that's all you can really, really ask about it. But I wanted to bring that up. Um, just the lack of blitzing that, or the, the increase in blitzing that you saw this week. Mm-hmm. And you saw him bring Kyrie Willis has, we've talked about Kyrie Willis for the past three, four weeks now saying he's going to supplant gathers. I think that that's, Pretty much happened now. Yeah. Uh, but you also saw Willis. Um, they were bringing Willis on blitzes um, several times uh, throughout the, this past week's game. 
and he was getting home. Like he was getting there and almost getting to Watson. You saw Quincy Wilson on, on a blitz, uh, that, that almost got to Watson. It's they're they're getting pressure on quarterbacks and it's, you saw every, I imagine most people have heard about Sam Darnold's comment last night on Monday night football that he's seeing ghosts. Oh my uh, gosh. Which was, I thought a terrible thing for, um, Hey, so you know how we talked about the, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, um, breaking news. He just got traded to the 49ers. <laughs> Didn't um, you say that like five minutes like, ago? You're like, like he's five, going ten minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> so breaking news that just happened. So um, there you go. Denver loses an offensive weapon, and obviously with Joe Flacco struggling, uh, I was again I was doing some research earlier today. Uh, the Denver offense only averages about 16 points a game, uh, and their defense average gives up about 22 points a game. So the average outcome is some, somewhere along the lines of like 21-17, right? So without Emmanuel Sanders, like you have to think that offensive output is going to continue to fall. With the Colts defense on the rise, I think th- I'm going to go ahead and project it now. The Colts give up 13 points on defense this week. They do not turn the ball over. I also found out Denver, while they play a pretty stout defense – not turnovers. They do not intercept force fumbles and all that stuff. The Colts take care of the ball as a general rule. So I would again, obviously we're homers, we're fanboys, we're not actual journalists. Uh, so we can actually say things like think the Colts win. I think it's probably a du- double digit win. Uh, the first one of the year. Uh, some somebody uh, I saw a, a graphic on Sunday during the game that all of the Colts games this year have been within a tutter. Uh, and this is going to be one of those games where I don't feel like uh, that's going to be that way. I don't feel like it'll so, be that way against the Steelers either. But go ahead. The Sanders trade um, is according apparently Sanders and a 2025th round pick. Denver's 2025th round pick goes to San Francisco in exchange for their 2020 third and fourth round picks. Wow. Um, they're, my next guess, th- this is now clearly a fire sale. Oh, yeah. Denver. So my next guess is probably going to be Chris Harris, probably to the Eagles. And that's just a, a dart throw because the Eagles were trying to get uh, Jalen Ramsey and wasn't weren't able to get him. Uh, Jacksonville obviously traded him to the Los Angeles Rams. You know, Philadelphia and their, their locker room was really upset they didn't get a chance at Ramsey. I think that they'll probably try to make a run at Chris Harris Jr. if they can. Yeah, and if, if I were Chris Harris, I'd want to get out of Denver. I don't want to end my career there. Oh, this is um, crazy. Breaking news. No, I'm just joking. No, <laughs> if it happens twice. <laughs> in the same podcast, how would that that would be crazy. Um, um, so be did you see, by the way, Jalen Ramsey in his first game as a Ram had an interception return for a touchdown. So I think Jalen Ram- if Jalen Ramsey did, I thought Marcus Peters did. I know that, too. Oh, it was Marcus a- Peters. I'm wrong. Yeah, Marcus Peters had it for the Ravens against Seattle, but coming from Los Angeles. So there's still a link there. I, I understand where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, I'm just dumb. Um, but, yeah, we, I was looking at, like, strength of schedule so far to figure out, like, um, who's real, who's fake in the NFL. Uh, and I just have, I have to say it, right, because the rivalry is still on. Uh, the two undefeated teams left in the NFL are the 49ers and the Patriots. Both have uh, the weakest strength of schedule uh, so far so either they're that dominant and they steal the will out of each of their opponents or 
They've just played nobody up to this point. And I'd like to also point out that New England's only game against a decent team was a six-point victory, 16-10 to 10 over the Bills, who are 5-1, and one, represent the only Can real... We, Go ahead. Let me talk about these Bills, because the Bills are 5-1, and one, and everybody's touting this. The Bills' wins have come against... I'll, I'll list their five wins. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. them off the top of my head. They're the New York Giants, the New York Jets, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, I believe the Tennessee Titans, mm-hmm. and the Miami Dolphins. Their five wins, they're the, the five teams that they've beat have a combined record of, I think, 6-26. and 26. Oh, my gosh. So are I'm, no gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to say the Bills are no good, necessarily. I'm going to say we have no idea what they are right now because the two teams are 0-13. I mean, you've got the Dolphins and the Bengals, and they're 0-13. The, the New York Giants game was when Eli was still playing. Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't know what the Bills are right now, but I would not call them good just yet. Their defense is solid, but yes. Josh Allen is erratic, and they've got no – like John Brown's a decent wide receiver, but they've got – beyond that, like I don't know how many – like I would say name Zay Jones on offense because that was a running joke earlier in the year right. on how many Bills wide receivers can you name. Um but I don't think he's on that team anymore. I think he got traded. Um, and so, yeah, just, just everybody slow your roll on the Bills because they haven't really played anybody yet. Um, yeah, that, that was going to be what I said. Like, uh, the, as far as strength the schedule goes and team records go, um, the 5-1 and one Buffalo Bills have the second overall – or the third easiest uh, schedule so far – but I wanted to point out, though, because the rivalry is on, uh, the New England Patriots, if you just sort standings by strength of schedule, the New England Patriots have literal played nobody. They have the easiest ranked strength of schedule thus far. Uh, and then similarly, and as far as the, the easiest strength of schedule, just something to consider when you're thinking about betting or, or you're looking at a game and thinking about the outcome the Buffalo Bills with the third weakest schedule are five and one. You would say like the Patriots are for real because they're always for real, even though they've played a, a, an easy schedule so far. And that we would say something along the lines of Buffalo Bills are what you call like a pretender, right? Where they're five and one playing nobody. But once they get to the meat of their schedule, that's a problem in, in the future for them. And then similarly, the Cowboys have the easiest schedule so far in the NFC, and the 49ers have the second easiest schedule in the NFC so far. And I would say, of course, because my wife hates Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, that the Cowboys are pretenders. The 49ers, though, appear to be one of the better teams in the NFL. They kind of do it. Uh, I would be kind of— I like cr- the 49ers a yeah, lot. Yeah, like, I like them, man. They, it, they do it all. That offense, like Kyle Shanahan's just—it's similar to, like, Frank Reich, is that— they just take this is this is something that's different that Colts fans should really really appreciate is that Frank Reich is very similar to Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan in their offensive game plan is they attack an opponent's weakness and this is specifically with Frank Reich and Bill Belichick is that their offense is not not consistent week to week because they're, they change. The game plan changes with the opponent. And so they find out what your weakness is and they try to exploit it. And it's just 
the most frustrating, just maddening thing for an opposing team to go in thinking, all right, the Colts are gonna, the Colts are gonna sit here and they're gonna run the ball down our throats. Look at that offensive line; they've got like the number, they got a top five rusher in the league right now in terms of yards per game. They're gonna, they're gonna do this, and then they come out and just pass the ball all over your defense as your defense is selling out to stop the run and can't get home to put any hits on Brissett. Although. Houston was taking a bunch of chip, cheap shots on Brissett like throughout the entire game. Where I was like, eh, this is Tom Brady. Like eight out of, you know, six, um, you know, eight out of six of those get get flagged. And I did say eight out of six because there are going to be two that he never actually got touched. Right. They and they would just anyway. throw a flag. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, the six times he did get touched, they would throw a flag. And then two times Brady would just throw his arms up in the air and they'd be like, all right, you got it, Tom. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I would, so, I would agree. Yesterday, yesterday there was, I want to say there was like five or six instances where Jacoby gets up off the ground and the look on his face is like, "Where's like the fly?" Seriously, man. Like, are you serious? Yeah. Like that was that was after the throw. Like my I I had finished my throw, my arms by my side, and then I get knocked on my ass. Like, what? Mm-hmm. No calls. And I and again, I think this feeds what I was saying earlier. Uh, the Colts style of football is tilting like it puts people in a bad mood because you're getting hit in the mouth the whole game the threat of the run is so real that you have to stay home and then they just burn you on these crossing routes because you're getting mismatches uh because of the personnel types that you have to keep on the field um and that's what really led to the the mckinney uh just the way he finished that game is when you've been getting hit in the mouth the whole game and you've taken shots at the quarterback, you know, J.J. Uh, Watt got home on uh, Jacoby a few times and put a lick on Jacoby, um, but then late in the game with the, the little three-play stretch out of McKinney, that just shows you what happens when you go out and you dominate the line of scrimmage. And I would say the same for the record, for the Colts' defensive line, we have to talk about Jabal Sheard, right? Like, that Colts defensive line play was fantastic. They were in, they kept uh, Watson in the pocket. They were getting home. They sacked him three times. He threw two picks. He was throwing off his back foot. He's running around. The difference is, of course, Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins have pretty good rapport. Hopkins is able to get open. They're going to get theirs, but I felt like they were really limited. You got to remember, DeAndre Hopkins' touchdown was a four-yard touchdown catch, right? Not what you typically see, and I, I like I said, I really have to really have to make sure in this podcast that we really talk about the defensive game plan out of the Colts changing week to week uh, to get after the opponent. And this is gonna be one of those weeks where uh, I think that the Colts need to bring some bigger bodies in. So guys like Shaquille Taylor that I saw on Sunday a lot and was like, wow, he's behind the play or he's chasing after a guy that has a ball in his hands. Uh, guys like that don't play in games like this uh, where the Colts last past week were looking for a lot of speed. This week they're going to be looking for run stopping uh, because that's the strength of the Denver offense. And then as far as defensively, again, like I've said, pretty talented uh, defensive team uh, from out of Denver in terms of quality of play. But like you said, if Chris Harris Jr. Saw for sale – uh, you know that's going to bring down the morale and the quality of play of the room as a whole anyway. Um, so, yeah, I'm certainly excited about the Colts. I mean, we, I mean, I know that we said 
after Andrew uh, decided to hang it up that we still felt like the Colts were a 10 or more win team. It's kind of looking that way as we progress, which is great. Jared, here's a secret. What's that? I'm going to be right. Yeah, well, we know that. I'm going to be right. It's going to be 12, 13 wins. I'm going to be right. I mean, wait, was I'm not supposed to pat myself on the back because I just did a little bit. No, there. you're you're you are allowed to pat yourself. On the back. <laughs> and, you sh- and you should. Because oh, I ain't going to stop. Yeah, you, you should. Um, but yeah, I uh, really kind of like, looking at go ahead, seriously, go ahead. like looking at schedules, though, like if you break down like the Houston schedule coming up, like, yeah, they had a. a you know, they had a great win at, at Kansas City. Similar to the Colts, nobody thought they would win that game. But Kansas City's next – are the Houston's next games, week eight. So next week, they host Oakland. That's now not a pushover nope. anymore. Um, then week 11, it's after their bye. They oh, host – they are at the Ravens. Oof. Week 12, they host the Colts. Week 13, they host the Patriots. Yep. Yeah, now they end the season with you know Denver, Tennessee, Tampa Bay, Tennessee. So it, their last four games are pretty easy, but that middle of the pack right there, those aren't cakewalk games. Yeah. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe drop a game or two in there. And then you look at like realistically, the Colts now are top of the AFC South, which is something that we thought they would do. Yes, we thought they would win. Mm-hmm. Um, they have kind of an inside track for the number two seed right now, even though right, I believe right now the either the chiefs or, or the Ravens have it because they haven't had a bye week yet. But if you look at Kansas city's upcoming games, they've got week eight, they host green Bay week nine, they host Minnesota. And then they go to LA week 11, maybe at that or the lots well, of Mexico city. And they're doing, week eight, nine, and 10 without Patrick Mahomes. Right. So it's Green Bay without Mahomes, Minnesota without Mahomes, ten, host, or at Tennessee uh, without Mahomes. And Tennessee's defense is tough. Like if, if their defense can store, they can, they can be in that game. Then they've got games against uh, New England at New England in week 14. They've got week 16 at Chicago. Those aren't easy games either. So Kansas City might end up playing their way out of a playoff position. The other team that you need to worry about in terms of that number two seed, and I know it's after week seven and I'm already talking about the playoffs, but right. you look at you know the Baltimore schedule coming up. They're on a bye week this week. They come back, play New England. They host New England week nine. Then they have Houston uh, week 11. And then I don't know whether this is the Rams or the Chargers here. Um, they, they, LA, it's probably the Rams. They, they have the Rams, um, and week 12, they have San Francisco week 13, and then they've got Cleveland week 16, like, and then they've got Buffalo in there too. Um, but again, I don't know what Buffalo is going to be. Um, so Baltimore could drop some games in there. Like, and you look at the Colts schedule and you don't see a lot of games that are, just easy are games that you're like, yeah, okay, they're probably going to lose that aside from, you know, New Orleans 
And yeah, it's hard. Maybe, it's hard to go. It's going to be hard to go down to New Orleans and win late in the year. They'll have gotten Drew Brees back. Teddy Bridgewater's five and zero as starting quarterback. Like you're looking so. at New Orleans and Houston, and those are your two games that that you look at, and you're like, all right. So the Colts probably aren't going to be favored in that, but right. at the same time, you're like, I don't count them out. You know, going down there and winning though. Nope. nope. And especially after going and and putting it to Kansas City. And coming out and playing a great game against Houston, like had they, I don't know what Frank Reich decided like to do at halftime, but like they just stopped playing aggressive after they they scored that fourth touchdown. Yeah. And it that they went up. I forget what the score was when they went up, but they um went up 21-28-16, and yep. then they just kind of putzed around for the rest of the game. And how how about the irony of Bill O'Brien intentionally getting a safety, burning a timeout, taking five seconds off the clock while his punter walks around the back of the end zone and taking an intentional safety to give the Colts a seven-point lead to possibly give his team better field position and they're in play for a tie. Like, the irony of Bill O'Brien playing for a tie in that situation is just funny to me. Yeah, because if you remember last year, uh, Frank Reich came under fire for kind of starting his c- coaching career by making a questionable decision to play for a win, right? I'm not playing for a tie. I'm, playing I'm not to playing win. to tie. I'm playing to win. I remember seeing that yesterday and thinking that will go down as a mistake on the Houston special teams coordinator and on Bill O'Brien. I understand the thought process. Right. I don't want to punt out of my own end zone because if that punt gets blocked, game is over. Right. I'd rather take I'd rather just snap the ball out of the back of the end zone, give him a safety, take no time off the clock, then take the free kick and then try to pin him. I understand the logic. I don't understand its application. And it's the same thing you said when the punter gets the ball and just walks across the back of the end zone, uh, because if he tried to punt it, Zach Pascal would have probably blocked it and then just steps out of the back of the end zone. You ate up clock on your own. And I get the idea. The idea was to try to get the ball back uh, with the two-minute warning to give yourself an extra, basically like a free timeout. Uh, but then I believe they burnt a timeout. And then it was like, what are you doing? You you gave up two points you didn't have to. You put yourself in this position. And then they burnt a timeout they didn't have to. And then, like, the two-minute warning ended up not mattering. And I get it if you're there and you saw that. Or you saw the game. Then you're just like, why are you recounting this? Uh, but that that little stretch, that's Bill O'Brien. But like that, I was going to say, we're, we're recounting it because it just shows how not good of, like how not good of a coach Bill O'Brien typically is. Like, yeah. he just makes poor game management decisions. Yeah. And last year... And for the most part, this year, he's been left out. Like, just magic. Like, for whatever reason, the ball just kind of fell their way over and over and over again. And you expected some kind of regression to the mean of them not getting lucky, but it just hadn't happened. And, you know, Bill O'Brien just makes bad coaching decisions. Mm -hmm. And, like I said, it just epitomizes it. He runs down, calls timeout, has them... You know, give up, burns a timeout with points. Give up two points. Let the Colts go up seven, even though your defense has been stopping them for the past quarter and a half, right. and not not giving up a yard. And you knew that the Colts were just going to try to run the ball. 
Yep. So and, and try to chew up clock. So you could have kept the two minute warning, you know, had a timeout at the other side of it, gotten the ball, potentially gotten the ball back. Now you also could have let the Colts kick a field goal, but then at that point you're only down eight. So it's still a touchdown. It's a one score game. It's touchdown two point conversion. Right. So why? I, like I just it befuddled me why you would one call timeout. Two waste clock having having your punter run out the end zone when you know time is going to be of a huge importance. Oh, yeah. So why have your punter run down the sideline and pop out back in the end zone? Why not just have him catch it, turn around, walk out? And it, I mean it was similar over the course of the game. There were several like penalties that affected the outcome of drives, and you're just thinking like, oh, that's a lack of discipline on that offense, on that defense, on that team. That's why we keep saying, like, Bill O'Brien's not a good coach. I I feel like the Houston Texans are the Colts from, like, a few years ago where you have lightning in a bottle at quarterback. You have a great number one overall wide receiver. And then outside of that, a bunch of barely above replacement parts – uh, defense similarly, like they have J.J. Watt, they have um, um, Merciless, and then outside of that, you know, yesterday Jonathan Joseph goes down, goes down with an injury, Gaines goes down with an injury, so that that team is injured. They've had the ball bounce their way several occasions, like you pointed out, but more to the point, they are poorly coached, and that will always come back to haunt you. Um, so again, obviously we'll always say we're fanboys and homers and we think that we've got it the best, but it's kind of showing, right? That offense is a finely tuned machine. They can pass when they need to, they can run at, at will. Uh, the offensive line controls the line of scrimmage. The defensive line's very capable of putting pressure on a quarterback if that's what it's calling for. Uh, and I think this will be one of those weeks where the Colts just tee off. Um, there's also... I'd heard rumors that this was either this week or next week was a week that Drew Locke could come back. Uh, so it is worth pointing that out. There, very, very real possibility, I believe. Uh, Joe Flacco may not even play the whole game. And then you think about that and how the Colts are positioned coming into the game. And it's, it's going to be real hard to see the Colts drop in this game at home. Uh, but that's why they play the game on Sunday. Uh, but like I said, I, you know, we're just talking about the, the Colts' future schedule. In my eyes, the only games I'm concerned about really is the Houston and New Orleans games. So that's two games. They could, I could very well see them losing. We're still looking at like 12 and four. They pick up that win in Houston. That's a 13 win season. Uh, that's definitely going to get you like a one or number one or two seed. And I was actually talking with someone last night. I met a guy named Bill, ironically enough, um, out celebrating one, my wife's coworker's 21st birthday. Uh, and I was talking with a gentleman who was talking about um, just – well, I don't remember what I was talking about. I lost my train of thought. But, yeah, we were talking about um, football and talking about the Colts and talking about, um, like, winning your division. Oh, being a one seed. Uh, talking about the Patriots, how – you know, everybody talks about Tom Brady, but the reality is, if you're a football fan, they anytime they had a deep run in the playoffs, they had a great defense and home field and advantage. Home field. 
advantage. So that's that's what the Colts are after. And the funny thing is, what's crazy about that, kids, that's what Frank Reich said coming in as a head coach his first year. I remember him saying the goal is to get home field advantage in the playoffs. To get a home game in the playoffs is where you want to be because you should win that game. And remember, you only got to win like two games to go to the Super Bowl if you win your division. Uh, and if one of those is a home game, everybody, you know, one of the things you notice, or at least I noticed yesterday, is that the Colts didn't didn't appear to lose anyone to injury at home. And if you can just push that button as frequently as possible and win games at home and not have guys get hurt, uh, you're going to win a lot of football games. Uh, so certainly, obviously really excited for this year super excited for the future though right like we know we're in safe hands well, we've got and even Go like we've kind of like just off shot like the new england patriots getting the one seed for uh, because they're seven and oh right now and they're two two and a half games up on the colts um but i don't think that them getting the one seed is necessarily a foregone conclusion like we've said before they haven't really played anybody mm-hmm. uh they're the new england right now their wins are against pittsburgh miami the new york jets buffalo washington the new york giants the new york jets yeah so they uh they haven't really played anybody to this point i mean you could maybe argue the bills and that was a tight game yeah. um and then but their upcoming schedule they're next Wow, their next wow. six weeks. I don't know tough. if you just looked at it too. They have they host Cleveland. So if from Cleveland can get their head around and, and figure out what to do, um, they could give New England some trouble. They go to Baltimore in week nine. Then New England has a bye week. And week eleven they go to Philadelphia. Then they host Dallas. And they go to Houston and they host Kansas City. And that's their six game stretch. Yeah. Like New England could legitimately pull out of that at three and three or two and four um, because their defense is great as, as of right now. But again, they haven't played anybody like they haven't really played an offense to this point. Right. And so I'd be interested to see uh, I'll be interested to see these next two weeks for Cleveland or, or for for New England uh, against Cleveland and then at Baltimore to see whether they're legit. And if they can pull out with that, if they can come out these next four, six weeks of their, of their schedule, it's seven weeks in, in real life, their next six games come out with a four and two record, they'll have the one seed. And it's almost a foregone conclusion because their last three games of the season is Cincinnati, Buffalo, Miami. Right. And so, which is almost, is almost assuredly a 10 win season uh, right now for the Patriots. Um, but but yeah. it's like, it's worth saying like, you know, you you have to look at your your week to week matchups. You have to kind of look down the road a little bit. So obviously, all signs uh, pointing up for the Colts. Always want to make sure if we get opportunity, we shout out people that support the Colts in national media, like Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football is a big Colts supporter. Uh, obviously, like we've been we've mentioned, Pat McAfee. It's important to to remind remind people that not everyone knows what we know. 
right? Like not everyone thinks about the Colts when they think about a dangerous team in the AFC, right? At this point, what we were being fed from the national level is Kansas City, New England, and the AFC. And the NFC, I've always said, is a far more competitive overall division or conference. Um, and then I I just have this feeling like I wanted yesterday I was thinking about trying to wager that the Colts and Ravens would meet in the playoffs. I'm that confident and you know obviously if they're uh, the 2 and 3 seed then my bet is worthless. Uh but I again I just looked at their future schedules, looked at how I thought felt like they were playing and really it's just like you said, it's not out of the realm of possibility maybe new england drops five of their next six goes 11 and five and they're a three or a four and the colts and ravens i very very realistically could very see easily see them being the number one and two seeds um in the afc uh but i was thinking about trying to bet that they would meet each other in the afc championship just because i i i'm one of those people you got to stick with what you believe in right and i believe uh if 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 not uh, Harbaugh for coach of the year. I very much believe Frank Reich for head coach of the year too. Uh, just what they've accomplished uh, after uh, having Andrew Luck hang it up, uh, even the even thus far. Um, if you really want to talk about it, the Colts should be five and one, right? Like I I will admit when we lose and say, oh, we definitely lost that game. That was the Oakland game. Yeah, the Oakland game. Yeah, they lost that football game. They gave and no, that game neither away. of us gave excuses. No, to it. said, look, just, they were they were out coached, they were outplayed. Yep. It, it it happens. Yep. It wasn't. Oh, we got screwed by the ref, sir. You know, it was our. You know what? I I the one uh, there's a Houston vlogger that that was like, oh, Houston, that we beat ourselves in this game. You know, the, the refs hosed us, and I was like, well, those are two different things, but okay. Um, <laughs> and then he's like, you, the Colts fans are celebrating that interception like they just won the Super Bowl. You know, they you know they need to act like they've been there before. And, of course, <laughs> I made a snarky response to that and said, well, has Houston ever won the Super Bowl? So how would you know yeah. how to act you like you've no been familiarity, there before right? if you've never been there before? Because that seems like... In order to act like that, you would have needed to have been there, and Houston's never been close. So that seems like we've got a logical fallacy here. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, Jared and I, you know, we both are objective to the point that if the Colts got beat, they got beat. Yeah. And and we own up to it. We don't sit there and say, oh, we don't make excuses. We don't do a lot of all this. Not really. Like, look. The offensive line for for Oakland crushed the Colts' defensive line. They they had brilliant coaching. You know the Colts definitely did not come out hot on this and probably overlooked them. And this was something that we had said was a trap game. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Um, now looking into Denver, I'm not. I don't see Denver as a trap game like I did Oakland because you and I both said Oakland's a better team than people are giving them credit for. Yeah. Um, leading into Gruden the is a game. better coach than he gets credit for. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not as worried going into Denver as I was going into Oakland. Um, and so, I mean, hopefully we'll we'll be right and then uh, we'll be able to go from there. But, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this game. I think it'll be a good game for the Colts. I'll be interested to see how they stop the run uh, mm-hmm. with Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay and try to contain that Denver rushing offense. 
Uh, but with the loss of Emmanuel Sanders, literally during our podcast, um, you know, the, the Broncos are probably going to be focused more on the run and maybe they, they looked at Noah Fant, I guess. Um, okay. no, Cortland Sutton, maybe. Um, but without Emmanuel Sanders in there, that little wide receiver underneath, I'm not, I'm not as worried about, about the Oakland offense. That Oakland defense is tough, um, yes, but if they sir. trade Chris Harris, um, once they lost Bradley Chubb for the year, that changed the whole comp- the complexion of that defense. Mm-hmm. And Von Miller is a fantastic pass rusher. I wish that they would just give him to the Colts for free, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, not um, like the week you play him, right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so, um, but that's actually, there's a thing to talk about is trades. Um, I know you and I talk about trades every once in a while mm-hmm. on Slack, and then we have a Stampede Blue Slack chat for those when we say Slack, um, where we discuss things that, yeah, just random things. Um, but one guy that I think I could see the Colts legitimately targeting if they could get him for cheap is Vic Beasley. And he's a defensive end from Atlanta. Atlanta's clearly at this point tanking. They just traded Mohamed Sanu for a second round pick, which I think is insane value for yeah. the Falcons to get back from the Patriots, a second round pick, even though it's obviously going to be a late second round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, still a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu is, is fantastic value for, yeah, that was a choice value, for the Falcons. Yeah, um, I do think that they could look to trade Vic Beasley. Um, the reason is because as of right now, he's on, he's on the last year of his contract, um, but they only have you know, a handful, a, a little bit of cap space. They got some maneuverability with the Mohamed Sanu deal. Um, but Vic Beasley right now, I think costs about 12 million against the cap and pulling him off the books for say a late round pick. Cause he hasn't really done anything since 2016 where he had 15 and a half stacks. So he can put up numbers, but he just hasn't done it. Um, yeah. the reason why Playing I think that uninspired it, and that could be it. Um, you know, it, it's probably it, you know, maybe he comes here and the, the good thing about Vic Beasley is he's an explosive athlete. He's able to bend the edge. He can be a one-year rental for the Colts, and if he does well, they they either go ahead and resign him, or more likely, they go ahead and let him walk if he go if he plays well. And they try to recoup a compensatory pick for him because I think that you know Chris Ballard would rather have that, knowing that Kamoko Ture is going to come back next year. Uh, I expect them to to resign. You know, Justin Houston's on on the roster next year, and I expect him to try to resign Jabal Sheard as well. Oh, yeah. And so they're going to have some good, good pass rushers on this mm-hmm. team. Um, but losing to Ray obviously hurt. And you saw it in their game plan against Houston is that they no longer could just rush for and feel mm-hmm. confident they were getting to him. Um, now they did keep a spy on, on Watson. They kept Leonard, spy, Leonard spied Watson all game, which is fantastic because Leonard's oh, yeah. so fast. He can take care of him and wa- wash him out. Um, but, the reason why I think Vic Beasley would be a good good choice is because Matt Eberflus's system is so simple, and it comes in, and a lot of times you have guys that come in, and they have issues uh, being able to acclimate to a defense because it's yeah. complex. Mm-hmm. Matt Eberflus's system is very simple. This is why um, last year and the past couple years, when we've had podcasts, we've said, you know. The reason why we think that these rookies could come in and contribute right away is because the system is simple, because there's not a lot of complexity to it. It is, know your key, go. Yeah. And that's it. Go get the ball. 
you know, <laughs> make sure you hold contain, go get the ball, you know, mm-hmm. go get the pass rusher or go get the passer. You know, that's what the system is. And obviously there are some nuances in there and I'm, I'm oversimplifying it right. to a point, but the fact is the defensive system is simple and bringing somebody in is going to be less difficult for the Colts on defense than it say would be for the new England Patriots to bring a guy in on defense because their system is very complex. Right. And so I, I think that you, that would be the, the one, the one move I could see the Colts make, but the only way they make it is if it's for like around five, six or seven pick. If it's anything higher than that, Ballard's not making that trade. I, I don't think you would. Um, and of course we'll see what happens, but certainly a, a name to kind of throw up on your board and see if it sticks. Right. So Uh, kind of matches what the Colts are looking for if they were looking around to try to generate more more of a pass rush um, moving forward within this season Um, so we've made it about an hour and 11 minutes uh, into um, episode 17 here so before we cut them loose for the day you got anything for us yeah we want to predict predictions uh, want us to predict Um, some outcomes I think the Colts will win this game uh, versus the Broncos by 10 points. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say, tw- I want to say 24-14. Okay. Similarly, I was thinking like 27-17. But now I, that now that the Emmanuel Sanders is out huh. though, or he's been traded, I kind of want to say more along the lines of like 28 to 10. I was gonna say 24-10. Yeah, just yeah. a little wider of a margin, just a little a lack of punch uh, from the Denver offense, which is kind of funny because they've basically been punchless. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just think, you know, you'll see a, maybe a 24-10 is probably a little more realistic because the Denver defense is a little better than Houston's. At least they were until they traded Chris Harris um, this afternoon. Yeah. So Yeah, uh, we'll wait and we'll see. Yeah, and so Colts, Colts should get a big win. Uh, to move to five and two. Uh, are we just and, gonna talk until Chris Harris gets traded? Yeah, I was kind of hoping he'd get traded while we were on a on the I'm actual episode. For it, come on, big man. No <laughs> just keep me. refreshing Twitter, see if we can get that too in the same podcast. That's funny. Um, but no. Uh, yeah, right. So now we'll let you go. This has been Jared and Steven here with uh, Afternoon Pancakes, episode seventeen. Have a great week. Enjoy the games, and we'll see you next week. Okay.